<laughs> no, okay, so uh, we're on part five, and we've been talking about what the first century church was like and how close we are or how far we are from the original intent of the church. And the word ecclesia is the Greek word, that, it's the word they used back then to describe what the church was. And the word ecclesia we translate as church, but it also means gathering. And so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of the characteristics. So last week, Lori talked about how we were, it's, they were extremely generous. <laughs> Um, we have a lot of information, so uh, let's, let's get started. But uh, I want to start with this question right here. What correction would the first century church make about today's church? If they had a time machine and they came into our church today, or just any church in North America, and they sat through service and they were like, oh, this is kind of different. We didn't have Sunday service in the first century, but I could understand how what we have right now has evolved into what they are. You know, like we, they could kind of imagine how certain things have changed over time. So some things may seem a little foreign to them, but in some cases, they'll look at it and say, but I could kind of understand how it changed, right? So um, when we talk about collecting offering, they're like, we didn't collect offering in the first century, right? But I could understand how that came to be. So they, they could probably connect the dots and figure things out. But what, is, what are some things in our church that they would say, that is completely foreign to me? I don't see how that evolved from what we had back then to today. Like, I don't, I don't see how that worked out. And so one of the things, so there's a few things, but... Um, I wanted to focus on one specific thing today. And this is one of the things that's been, like, irking me since I started going to seminary. So seminary, I, I graduated, like, years and years ago. But this is something my professor taught me. And my professor said, you know, the reason I'm a professor is so that, you know, like, I have my own congregation. I teach my congregation this stuff. But my reach is as far as my congregation goes. The reason... I want to teach this stuff to students is because I know that you guys will be future pastors and you need to go and spread this news to everybody because I feel like we've gotten this wrong. And so we're like leaning in. Well, what, are you, what are you talking about? What is the thing that has changed over in the last 2,000 years? What, has, what is the number one thing that's changed so much that you felt like you had to become a seminary professor? And he said this, salvation. The understanding of salvation, the way that we define salvation, the way we talk about salvation, has changed dramatically in the last 2,000 years. Specifically, the last 500 years. And I'm not going to bore you with church history because, you know, if I start talking about church history, I get excited, you guys fall asleep. So I'm not going to talk about church history because I could pinpoint exactly where and, and you know what, if you're interested in this stuff, you could talk to me after service and I would love to bore you to death. All right. But... I'll give you an instance of what the popular view is, meaning this is the view that most of us probably grew up with. And by the way, before I move on, this is the version of salvation that I said yes to. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old, okay? And I remember when somebody taught me how to get saved, okay, whatever that word means, okay? This is the version that I was taught, and this is the version that I said yes to. So they said, you want Jesus to be in your life? I said, yes, I want that salvation. As it turns out, and not just my professor, but many other influential figures in my life have taught me that that is an oversimplified version of what we understand as salvation. So let's take a look and see if you can relate to this. So this is earth. This is where we are today, right? We're on earth. Okay. And we all live on earth right now. Next slide. And as we live our lives, eventually we die. Now, between earth and death, what happens in between those two things determine whether if we go to heaven or hell, right? This is the understanding that we grew, well, I grew up with. And I think this is the understanding that people on the outside of the church are also saying. Like, they're like, oh, Christians. Yeah, they believe in that heaven and hell stuff. And the reason that, you know, some people will say, oh, because I did more good than bad in my time here. 
I'm going to heaven. Or, or, or maybe you know, they think it's based on works. Or some people will say, oh, it's because I achieved the right beliefs. I believe the right things about Jesus, and therefore I'm going to go to heaven instead of hell. Or some people will say, you know, it's not just about believing. It's, you know, so this is the understanding of salvation that I said yes to. But this, as I learned, and I hope that we all learn to get to today together, is oversimplified, and some will even say this is a half-truth, or maybe some people even say that it's a quarter-truth. And a quarter-truth is not the complete truth, and this is why we need to talk about this today. And this is something that the first-century church, if they were to come to our church and heard us talking about this model, they would say, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. You see, the problem with this model is that the Bible doesn't agree with it. Now, here, here, this is my guess, okay? The, before you cracked open the Bible, somebody already taught you this model, and so when you read the Bible, you start reading that model into what you're reading. And so every time you look to a page, you have that, those lenses on, and so you start reading into the text of, of what this verse might be saying. Okay, so the popular view of salvation is this, that Jesus saves us from hell after we die. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's what I grew up with. Isn't that what salvation means? Isn't, isn't the Greek word soter, isn't that what, what that means? Like, to be saved from? I mean, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell you saved from what, but I'm assuming it means to be saved from hell. Right, Kotz? Right? I mean, is that? Well, here's the problem with that. When the first church, first century church started, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, we see a chronicle, we, we see like a history of what happened right after that, and that's called the book of Acts. Okay, and so if you want to read through the, what happened in the first century church, you'll read the book of Acts. And, and in the book of Acts, there's about 15 sermons that's recorded for us. Some of them are recorded word for word. Some of them are just like referred to, okay? Like, hey, somebody preached this message. And every single one of them, do you know how many times the word hell is referenced? Zero times. In all those sermons combined, do you know how many times somebody talked about what happens to us after we die? zero times. It's as if these people, their incentive for becoming a Christian wasn't all about, where do I go after I die? As a matter of fact, it almost seems like that was an afterthought or maybe not even on the radar. But today, and if you're like me, you said yes to Jesus because of this message, right? It's like, oh, I want to know where I'm going to go. I need fire insurance. I want to make sure that after I die, I end up in the right place. And as a matter of fact, by the way, you know, if you think that the life is about going to heaven or hell, right, in the Bible, do you know how many times, the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, do you know how many times in the Bible they put heaven and hell together, like juxtapose them, like, hey, are you going to heaven or hell, right, heaven and hell? Zero times in the Bible. In the Bible, they usually juxtapose the word heaven and earth. They never use hell as the secondary option. And so what does this all mean? What does the Bible teach us about Salvation. What does the Bible teach us about what happens to us after we die? What does the Bible say about hell? I mean, are you, are you saying there is no hell? Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that maybe we define hell in the wrong way. And so today what I'm going to do is we're going to walk through what the Bible teaches us about what happens to us, what heaven is and what hell is and what earth is and how all that stuff plays together. Okay, and my hope today is that none of you guys get offended by what I'm about to say because you're like, but that's what I base my life on. It's okay. I, I based my life on this for a long time, too, until 
I was corrected, and I want to share that with you today because this is what I believe is what the first century church believed. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, and uh, we're going to put this verse on the screen, but if you want to read it for homework, you can. Be my guest, right? All right, this is how it starts. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It starts off by saying, okay, by the way, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are the four biographies of Jesus we have in our Bible. Mark is the oldest version of it in terms of chronologically when it was written. And he starts by saying this. He starts by saying, let me first tell you about the good news, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So you're like, okay, he's going to tell us flat out from the very beginning what the good news is. All right, let's take a look. Next part. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, you're like, okay, so Mark isn't just going to tell us what the good news is. He's going to tell us what the good news is as it is linked to the Old Testament. There's a guy named Isaiah in the Old Testament. He wrote a lot of stuff back then, you know, one of the biggest books in the Old Testament. And he's like, okay, I'm about to tell you what the gospel is, and I'm going to quote an Old Testament passage to tell you about what the, new, what, what the gospel is. I'm like, okay, tell, okay, I'm ready, Mark. You tell me what the gospel is. Okay, so what do you think it's going to say? That there's heaven and hell and that God's going to save us from going to hell? Do you think that's what it's going to say? Well, at this point, if I said, you said yes and you weren't listening, what I, you know, the buildup. Okay, this is what he says. I will send, this is God speaking, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight uh, paths for him. You're like, oh, that's so clear. Let's close in prayer. Let's go home. No. Okay, you're like, what, what does that mean? This is confusing. And yes, this is very confusing, especially if you're new to the Bible. You're like, I thought he would give us a clear answer. In their culture, it was a clear answer. For us, it's kind of foreign. Okay, this is what he's saying. He's saying, one day, I, God, am going to come to earth to rescue you, and I'm going to send a messenger ahead of me to pave the way for that. And that person is John the Baptist. You guys probably, if you've been in church, you know. John the Baptist is going to come, and he's going to kind of clear the way for God to show up for the rescue. Are you sure that's what it says? Okay, well, let's move on. Verse, we'll skip to verse 14. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, the good news of God. It's like, okay, there it is again. The good news of God. Jesus, tell us what the good news of God is. Next verse. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Did we miss it? Where's the heaven and hell stuff? Where, where is it? Do did we, did, did we miss the good news? Where, where is it? If you look carefully, that is the good news. Jesus says, I'm about to tell you the good news. And after he said it, he says, and that was the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. What, what does that mean, Kotz? I, I'm trying to figure out what that verse means. Okay. What I want you to know so far in our discussion right now, or it's monologue, so it's not a discussion, but okay. What, God, what, what Mark is saying up to this point is this. If you think that salvation is about us leaving earth to go to heaven, that us going somewhere else, he said you missed the point. It's about the kingdom of God coming near to us. In everything he's teaching here so far, he's giving this picture of something coming to us, not us going somewhere else. So if you look at the next, the, the next slide, look at the popular view, there's, he's saying the good news is not about going somewhere else, but he's saying that the kingdom has come here. What he's saying is that he's like, the good news is that something of God, we call this the kingdom, has come here. He's saying that God has come here. He's saying something 
God is doing is happening right here on earth in your life, right here, not somewhere else. The good news in the Bible doesn't talk about escaping earth to go somewhere else after we die. The good news that the Bible talks about is that God has brought something here for us to enjoy. In other words, the, God, the kingdom of God, or in the book of Matthew, he calls it the kingdom of heaven because in the Jewish culture, using the word God is offensive. So Matthew, written to a more Jewish audience, he uses the word heaven instead. The kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is not somewhere we go after we die, but something that has arrived here on earth. And to some of you, that's like, what? I, I, I don't know. Like, I learned the popular view that, that we live our lives, we die, and then we go to heaven or hell, and that was it, right? But that's not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, look at all the sermons that's preached in the New Testament. I, you, you will not find one sermon that talks about, you want to go to heaven or hell? If you accept me into your life, you're going to go to heaven. Like, you won't see anything like that, anything remotely like that. So this is the biblical view of salvation. I drew a little diagram for you. In the very beginning, okay, there was heaven and earth. You guys know Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created what? Heavens and, and earth. There's no mention of hell in this story. This is because hell is something that enters into the story later in the story. So we'll get to that in a second or in a few minutes. Okay. Heaven, we have to define some terms, heaven is God's realm. Whatever God has complete control over is called heaven in the Bible. Whatever humanity we have complete control over is called earth. Whatever we have, so, you know, so it'll be like our kingdom. Our kingdom is stuff that we have complete control over, right? And so hell comes later in the story, and we'll talk about that, okay? But what we're going to discover is this. Hell is not a creation of God. We're not going to find a mention of anything about hell that God created. What we will discover is that there is a hell that we have created. Okay, and before you call heresy, I want you to wait until the end of the sermon and we'll talk about it. Because I know some of you guys are like, this isn't the gospel I grew up with. Okay. But, the, okay, so I want to give you some ideas of how the word hell is used in the Bible. So here's Matthew chapter 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you religious people are ruining everything. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. You're trying to go places and trying to get people to be just like you. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Okay, when somebody says in the, in the Bible, you're a child of Abraham, you're a child of heaven, child of hell, child of whatever, a child of basically, it was the idiom back then that, mean, that meant that you are like basically a clone of that person. So if they say, hey, you are a child of your, of your father, they're saying, hey, you look just like your dad or you're acting just like your dad. That's what it means, okay? So here he's saying, when you go out there and make somebody just like you, you Pharisees, you religious people, you're making them twice the child of hell. Now, we could break this down and that will take us a few hours, but we're, so we're not going to do that. But the point I want you to focus on here is this. Is he talking about hell as something that happens after you die? Or is he referring to hell as something that happens right here, right now? He's talking about hell as if it's present, not something that happens after you die. Here's, a, here's another one. This is in the book of James. He wrote, the tongue also is a fire. He's talking about how your words could affect people and change the world. But it's also going to be used for evil, a world of evil among the parts of your body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. He doesn't say 
after you die, this is what happens to you. He talks about how it is right now. He says that hell is a present reality. He's saying that's happening right now. And he's saying that if you use your mouth, your tongue, in the wrong way, if you speak the words that actually don't build people up, if you're using it to condemn people, then he's saying you are being consumed by hell right now. Right now, right here. Not after you die. Okay? So let's look at the biblical view. So in Genesis chapter 1, God said that in the beginning, heaven and the earth were in one realm. Adam and Eve, God, they were all getting along. What God wanted the world to be is exactly what Adam and Eve wanted the world to be. So they both have full control of heaven and earth, and they were one and the same, so they were able to occupy the same space. Right? God's realm, human's realm. Okay? But then what happened, next slide, is that in this story, what we discover is that humanity eventually said, we don't want to be controlled by you, God. In Genesis 1, God defines for us what good is. He did this, did this, he saw that it was good. He did this, did this, he saw that it was good. And he lists like all the things that are good. And here is Adam and Eve on, in chapter 3 of Genesis. He says, yeah, we don't agree with that anymore. We want to define for ourselves what is good. We think we know how to run our lives better than the way that God has set, set for us. How did that happen? Well, there's a serpent that told us that we could do this. And so in Genesis chapter 3, what we discover is that humanity pulls, pushes God out of the picture, and in doing so, the heavenly realm is also pushed out. And, and basically, God is saying, what, you think you can run this world on your own based on your values? And humanity is saying, yeah, I think we do a better job. I think we can be wise. Our eyes are wide open. We think we could do a better job than this. And then we look from chapter 3 to chapter 11 in Genesis, and we see this happen. Next slide. We see from humanity comes hatred, destruction, sin, oppression, chaos, hell, you know, injustice, racism, genocide. We see all these things start to come up. When we pull ourselves away from God or when we push God out of our lives and say, we think we know how to run our lives better than you, God, we end up creating chaos. And that world is called hell. So for the rest of the Bible from chapter, Genesis chapter 12 on to that very end, God has one mission, which is this. God wants to get rid of all evil. That's the problem. The problem in this world is that there's a lot of evil in it, and God's looking for ways to get it out. How does God deal with this? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 114 again. In verse 15, it says, The kingdom of God has come near. What does that mean? In the mind of the first century Christians, this is what it meant. Next slide. Okay, so we have this, this separation, and you see all this evil that's on the, humans, uh, on the earth side. He, what, he, what he's saying is the kingdom of heaven has moved in, and in doing so, it's wiping out the evil in this world. So this is what the good news is, right? The biblical view of salvation is this, that Jesus rescues us by getting the hell out of his beloved creation, I'm thinking this sermon's going to be called Get the Hell Out. And, uh, <laughs> and like, yeah, <laughs> clickbait. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's basically what it is. God loves our world so much, and he loves his creation so much that he wants to get rid of all the evil. He wants to push the hell out of this world. Now, but th- th- there's a problem with that. You see, because up until, so if you look at the next slide, we're going to do a comparison here. In the top, the popular view of salvation, we think that the whole point of this story is me. Where am I going to end up after I die? After I die. That's, that's the only thing that matters to me, right? And if you don't accept Jesus, that's your story. My story, I want to get to heaven. But when you read the Bible, it seems like 
God cares about what we think about other people also, right? Another problem is that in the top version of that right there, in the top one right there, the main goal is escapism. Let's get away from this world as fast as we can, right? And until that happens, we're going to play the waiting game. I accepted Jesus yesterday. I'm just going to wait until the day I die because then I'll be in the glory of God. But in the bottom version, it's not about escapism. It's about how to bring heaven here on earth so that we can experience God's goodness together. In the top version, it becomes a us versus them mentality. I'm saved, you're not, and therefore, <laughs> you know, we might be, uh, I know Christians don't say this, but I think some of them actually think it, which is, I think we're better than you because we accepted Jesus in our lives. Whereas in the bottom version, it's not us versus them, it's us for them. We're in this, I mean, in the top version, it becomes a holy huddle, right? It's like, we're holy, we're perfect, you know, everything's good over here, but when the person from the outside comes in, it's going to infect us. It's going to make us unholy. It's going to make us, haven't you heard this story before? Yeah, this is the story of the Jews in the first century, where there's these tax collectors and prostitutes, and they're saying, you guys stay away from us because we have a holy huddle right now. We are God's chosen people, and we want to make sure we keep it that way. And so what happens is, in the bottom version of the story, the, the, the biblical view, what he says is, no, we go and eat with sinners. We go and hang out with prostitutes who need, uh, who need a second chance in life. We're going to go feed the poor. We're going to do all these things. Why? Why is that important? Because that's what Jesus did. Because we think that it's not us versus them, it's us for them. So do you see how our definition of heaven and hell could change the outlook of how we live our faith, live out our faith. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, said this, salvation is God's rescue of his beloved creation, not rescue from creation. It's not about getting out of this world in some, you know, like, I can't wait until this happens so I can escape this world and leave all, you know, by the way, people who believe in the popular view of salvation, they see, they don't really care about how the earth is treated because it's going to burn up anyways one day. Whereas if you believe in, if you go by the biblical view of salvation, what you're going to learn is, no, at the end of the story, heaven comes on earth. We're going to dwell here. We need to take care of God's earth. And so we tend to take care of the environment better because that's what we believe is going to happen at the end of the story. He says, salvation is not one day God's going to rescue me from this earth. He's saying, no, 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 no. Salvation is God transforming the hearts of his people, that would be us, right? So that we can rescue creation itself. We could help our brothers and sisters. We could help the poor. We could create less racism in this world. We could, you know, um, I don't know, whatever your version of heaven on earth is, as Jesus described it, that, that's, he's, he, N.T. Wright says, that's what salvation looks like. That's what working at your salvation actually is. Another professor, his name is Tim, Professor Tim Mackey, he, uh, he does this thing called the Bible Project. I don't know if you heard. This is what he said. Hell is a reality that human, humans unleashed upon one another on God's good world. It destroys people and relationships. Hell is something we have created on earth. And then he continues. God hates hell. Hell is about the unleashing of selfishness, evil, and the breakdown and de- degrading of dignified image-bearing human beings. When you treat other people less than human because of their race, because of socioeconomic status, whatever, if you treat them less than God intended them to be treated because God's image is in, is in them, if you treat them less than human, he says you are actually participating in creating hell on earth. 
So from Genesis 3, humanity unleashes hell into this earth, into God's good world. And all the way to chapter 11, you see the effects of that, how it gets worse and worse and worse. Apart from God, we're creating a world that is unlivable. And humanity trying to fix their own problems but making it worse and worse and worse. And in the book of Mark, what, what Mark is starting the story off by saying is, Jesus coming here is the good news. The good news is that there's an invasion of heaven coming upon earth, and now for once, for the first time in, in, in history, humanity are now forced to confront evil for what it is. To say that people who, who benefit and make money off of other people because of the brokenness of this world, it's like that's not going to fly anymore. So let's look at this model again. The, top, the traditional, and, I mean, the, the, the popular view and the, the biblical view. On the top, from the day that you're born to the day you die, there's no need for justice on this earth. You just wait until you die, right? You're like, I accepted Jesus, I'm just going to wait until the day I die so I could go to heaven. But on the bottom one, Tim Mackey says, you have to confront evil in, in your lifetime. Whether if it's the, the societal evils or the evil that you find in yourself. He says, God wants to get rid of all evil in this world. Now, what we discover over time is this, that Jesus takes salvation more seriously than us. Uh, I'll give you an example. Most of you agree with me if I were to say, hey, let's get rid of, of rape. Let's get rid of it. No more rape in this world. And Jesus would say, I agree with that. And maybe like young children too. So you're like uh, you're taking advantage of young children. So you're like, let's get rid of sex trafficking. And you would say, yes, amen to that. Jesus would say, I agree with that, but I take it more seriously than you do. What do you mean by that? I'm not just interested in getting rid of rape and sex trafficking. I'm interested in getting rid of lust. Are you guys following? Or you would say, let's get rid of racism and genocide. And Jesus would say, yes, I'm right there with you, but I take it more seriously than you do. What do you mean by that, Jesus? I'm not just interested in getting rid of racism and genocide. I'm interested in getting rid of hatred pride, contempt, rage. I'm interested in getting rid of all of those things. So let's look at the biblical view. He's like, I'm not just interested in taking, wiping the, this side of the screen clean. I'm not just interested in that. I'm interested in getting rid of the source of all that. Now that's good news. Yes, we're finally going to live in the world that God intended us to live in. This is great. But there's also bad news that come with the good news. Well, what's the bad news? What is the source of all the evil in this world? Yes. Do you see this? If God wants to rid this world of evil, he has to get rid of me. He has to get rid of, well, maybe not you. You might be more holy than me, but he has to get rid of me. No more cots, right? And, and you're like, okay. But, but, but here's the thing. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, so that we may not what? Perish. He's saying, God says, I have a plan that's going to get rid of all the evil in the world without you, my beloved people, perishing. How do you do that? Next slide. The way we're going to do this is that when I enter into the world, I'm going to start a relationship with humanity. And as I talk to these people, now remember, read the four, four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What you're going to discover is that wherever Jesus goes, and he interacts with people, he's extracting the evil, he's changing people's hearts, and he's extracting the evil, the sin, and the hell they're creating around them from them. 
Now, there are some people that Jesus encounters where their hearts get harder and harder and harder, and they're like, I don't want to be a part of this whole Jesus movement, right? But the people who are like, yes, I used to be broken. I was blind, but now I see. I, you know, I, I was a prostitute. I was a tax collector. I betrayed people. I've done all these bad things. And Jesus says, I forgive you. It's okay. Here's a new start. Let's change your heart. One of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to come inside of us and change our hearts. And by doing that, next slide, it pushes all that stuff out. But the question is, what, what happens to hell? The hell that we created, what happened to it? Well, if you go to the very last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, at the very last chapter, the very last page of the Bible, what you're going to discover is that hell is cast out outside of God's good creation. In the last chapters of the, of the book of Revelation, heaven and, hell fi- uh, heaven, heaven and earth finally have that, they have that marriage. They finally got together, they overlap, and now God's dwelling is with man. Like this is what God's been working up to this whole time. In the book of Revelation, the last chapter, there's finally a perfect overlap of the two. He describes it like a marriage. It's like so beautiful, right? But then what happens to hell? Hell has no place in God's good creation, so he casts it out outside of the holy city. And then, John makes this one line, John wrote wrote the book of Revelation, John makes this one line at the end, which is kind of like, whoa, you just kind of said that in passing, but, you know, (laughs) he says, along with the people who, and this is my translation, okay, along with the people who refuse to take partake in what God's good, good world looks like, it says they're free to join hell if they want to. C.S. Lewis said this about hell. He says, hell is a monument to human dignity and choice. He says, if you want to choose, like, definitively, you're like, from this day on, I do not want anything to do with God's good world. I want nothing to do with it. God creates, God says, well, I cast out hell out there, and hell, you got to stop thinking about the burning place, okay? Um, those are all metaphors in, in the New Testament. But he's saying, he said, if you want a place where you have complete autonomy from God, if you want a place where you want to be able to just make your choices without any influence from God, then you are free to live that out right there. And you can make your own paradise if you want to, but it's never going to be as good as mine. Because we already saw through the Bible what happens if you create a world for yourself without the goodness of God. He's honoring the choices of the people. He says, if that's what you want, then I'll give it to you. C.S. Lewis also said this in the book called The, the Great Divorce. He says this. He says, at the very end, there's going to be two types of people. One, pers- one group of people are going to be the ones that says, yes, God, thy will be done. And the other group of people are the people that God looks at and says, fine, thy, your will be done. God honors your choice. Salvation. People who are saved. These are people who are being transformed from the inside out who want to see God's realm, heaven, to rest here on earth. That's what salvation is in the Bible. That's the biblical understanding of salvation. A world without genocide, a world without racism, a world without rape, a world without any of that stuff. Let me ask you this. Do you think your non-Christian friends would say, yes, that is also the world I want? The good news is good to everybody. But the problem with this good news is that you have to realize that the problem rests with us, humanity. We are the ones that are creating the hell on this earth. And now at the end of the story in Revelation, there is a hell. 
but that's not the kind of place that you, I think you imagine with the pitchforks and the fires and you know, that kind of stuff. It's the place where people decide, I want to live my life apart from God, and I'm going to do it you know, in the way that I want to do it. Um, N.T. Wright that I quoted earlier, he even said this. He said, when you start pushing God out of your life, eventually you're going to push the image of God out of your life too. And you stop becoming, you, you cease to become, you, basically he says you start to perish in terms of who you are as a human being. What makes you human is the image of God that's inside of you. And when you push that out, you become less and less human. And he said that's what hell is like. But if you want to see God's good world here on earth, then you want to be a part of heaven on earth. So the question that I have for everybody here today is this. Are you on board with experiencing heaven together? When the first century church looks at our church today, North American church today, and says, oh yeah, I recognize this, I recognize that, I'm glad that you kind of carry that, you know, like, oh, communion, you still do that? I'm so glad you're still doing that. You know, baptism, I'm glad you're still doing that. You know, like, it's like, oh, good. You know, I, I recognize all these things. But when we start talking about salvation in the popular model that we just talked about, the first century church would say, I have no idea what that is. That's not the gospel that I was taught. They would say, how are you experiencing heaven together? That's what the gospel is. That's what salvation is. Are you participating with the solutions of the world that God is bringing here on earth, or are you working against it? That's how they understood it. Not, I accepted Jesus so I could just wait until the day I die. Are you on board with experiencing heaven on earth, heaven together? And the way we do that is by moving towards Jesus, leaning into Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus. The reason why we emphasize so much relationship with Jesus is this. The longer you're in relationship with certain people, you could say about your spouse, you could be the best friend, whoever, okay, your roommate, your parents, your kids, I don't know. The more you spend time with them, the more they start to rub off on you, right? The more you spend time with them, the more you become like them or you start to understand them better. Without even using words, you start to understand what makes them happy, what makes them angry. And this is what the New Testament pushes for. He's basically, they're basically saying, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you start to understand what Jesus wants on earth. The more you get to know him, the more you start to understand Jesus' mission. And that's how you become on board with what God wants. So this is what I hope that we all do. That we keep moving towards Jesus. That we keep running to him. In times where you feel like your anger is getting the best of you, or when you feel like you're bringing more hell on earth than you are bringing heaven on earth, that we push ourselves more and more towards Jesus. Like, oh man, I'm just road rage. I, that guy just cut me off. I just want to cut him off. It's like, okay, I need to go to Jesus. Yeah. I can't believe that person betrayed me. This is like, oh, I lost so much money on this. Oh, I need to get him back. It's like, no, that would bring more hell on earth. I need to run to Jesus. What we have to understand is this, is that God reigns forever. The ultimate goal of God's story is to bring heaven on earth, to reclaim what he lost through us, the church. And the sooner we jump on board with that program, the more we start to, the quicker we'll understand what God really wants from us. I know this is like, some of you are like, this isn't what I grew up with. I encourage you guys to read the Bible with this in mind. I think it'll help you clear up a lot of the verses that were ambiguous to you in the past. Read Revelation with this in mind. I think it'll help you understand the Bible a little bit better. 
Read Isaiah with this in mind because from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the message, the good news has, has been the same. The message of salvation has been the same. Now, like I said, if you have any questions, I'll make myself available. And I'm saying this, I usually don't do this, right? But I'm saying this because I want to make sure that there's not, no, no confusion in all this. Amen? All right, let's pray.